Hey y'all, we're rerunning two episodes today, which means you might hear two hosts. Enjoy the show. Welcome to this day in history class from HowStuffWorks.com and from the desk of Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's the show where we explore the past one day at a time with a quick look at what happened today in history. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy V. Wilson and it's September 28th. Lillian Bland, who was one of the women pioneers in the world of aviation, was born on this day in 1878. She was born in Kent, although her family was Irish, and she went to live with an aunt in Ireland when she was 22 after her mother became seriously ill and moved to the Mediterranean area for the sake of her health. Bland was a disappointment to her aunt that she moved in with, though. She didn't act like a lady. She wore trousers, and she smoked and hunted and fished. She was an excellent shot and one of the first women in Ireland to apply to be a jockey. As far as her profession, she was a journalist and a photographer. And in 1909, she got a postcard from her uncle that depicted French pilot Louis Blériot's flight over the English Channel, and she was entranced. Bland decided that she wanted to fly. And not only did she want to fly, but she wanted to build her own plane. So she did. In October of 1909, she went to Blackpool to attend the first British aviation meeting, and she came home with all kinds of notes and ideas for her aircraft. She started out making small gliders as a proof of concept, and once she decided to move on to a full-sized model, she chose bamboo, ash, spruce, and elm as her materials. And because she was a journalist and a photographer, she documented the entire process and published articles about it. Lillian Bland named her aircraft the Mayfly. As in, it may fly, or it may not fly. She took it up to Carnmany Hill to see if it would, This wasn't a powered flight yet. She was operating her design as a glider to see if it could stay aloft, which it did, albeit with some bumps. She made adjustments, and once she was satisfied, she ordered an engine and then went to England to pick it up herself because she got tired of waiting for it. She finally made her first attempt at powered flight in August of 1910 at the Deer Park at Randallstown. This was short and bumpy, and she had to get off the ground quickly because a cantankerous bull lived in the same field that she was using as an airstrip. She kept tinkering with this plane, and finally was able to lift to an altitude of 30 feet and fly for about a quarter of a mile. She was so happy with her successful flights in the Mayfly that she decided to start her own aircraft company. She sold gliders and biplanes in standard and racing models. Her family, though, was really worried about her safety with this whole flying fixation. They bribed her to quit by offering her a new Model T if she did. And she took them up on that offer. This was not a matter of her just giving up a lifelong dream of having her own airplane company, though. She recognized the Mayfly hopped more than it really flew. And she also realized that flying was an incredibly expensive hobby. Plus, when she drove that Model T, she realized that driving offered a lot of the same satisfaction to her that flying did. In fact, she became so enamored of driving that she decided she would sell cars. Her family didn't like this either. They thought it was unladylike. So they arranged a marriage for her to her cousin Charles Loftus Bland. They did get married. They seem to have been pretty happily married, although their marriage deteriorated after their daughter died of tetanus at the age of 16. Lillian Bland died on May 11, 1971, at the age of 92. 
You can learn more about Lillian Bland on the July 13th, 2016 episode of Stuff You Missed in History Class. You can subscribe to This Day in History Class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Tomorrow, you can tune in for a household name and a mysterious death. Hi, I'm Eves, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that uncovers history one day at a time. The day was September 28, 1975. As staff at the Spaghetti House restaurant in Knightsbridge, London, were collecting the week's earnings, three armed Black men burst into the restaurant and demanded the money. The attempted robbery turned into a six-day siege that led to the imprisonment of all three of the robbers and an accomplice. The incident made use of new policing and surveillance techniques, and it sparked debates along racial lines on whether it was a political or criminal act. Franklin Davies, Anthony Monroe, and Wesley Dick, later known as Shuya Moshesh, broke into the Spaghetti House early that Sunday morning. They were attempting to rob the chain's managers as they prepared to deposit the weekly earnings, somewhere between 11,000 and 13,000 pounds, at the bank. The three men took the all-Italian staff down into a basement storeroom, but one manager escaped and alerted the police. The police quickly arrived at the scene, blocking off the area and preparing for the incident to turn violent as the attempted robbery turned into a hostage situation. 400 police officers were involved in the siege. Davies made demands for a flight to Jamaica, a radio, and the release of two Black people who were in prison. He was given a radio, coffee, and cigarettes, but his other demands were not fulfilled. Over the next couple of days, two hostages were released from the building. Police were using fiber-optic cameras they had installed to monitor the situation inside the storeroom. Dr. Peter Scott, a forensic psychologist, advised the police on the mental state of the robbers. After failed negotiations and manipulation of the robbers via the press, the group surrendered on October 3rd. Davies had shot himself in the stomach, and the police found him lying in the basement with a note in his pocket, but still alive. Davies was Nigerian, Dick was West Indian, and Monroe was Guyanese. In the mid-1900s, hundreds of thousands of West Indians, already British citizens, migrated to Britain. In the 70s, unemployment, discrimination, poverty, housing issues, and racist policies led to social and economic turbulence, including uprisings, riots, and violence directed at Black communities by white people. Davies, Monroe, and Dick were all part of Black liberation organizations. Monroe ran a supplementary school for Black children. Dick attended the 6th Pan-African Congress in Tanzania in 1974 and volunteered at the Institute of Race Relations. And Davies had tried to enlist in armies fighting against colonialism in Africa. He had already served a sentence for armed robbery. They told police that they were part of the Black Liberation Army and that they were resisting capitalism and Black oppression. But the police dismissed the racial component and political aims of the robbery, claiming that it was just a criminal robbery gone wrong. Newspaper articles, editorials, and letters to the editor were published concerning the siege. 
Mainstream media presented the three men as criminals with no clear motivation who represented the larger problem of race danger. While many people in the Black community recognized the incident as an effort in the fight against a racist society that owed its dues after years of oppression and theft. Less than a week after the siege ended, the Spaghetti House reopened for business. The trial for the siege began in June of 1976. Dick, Monroe, and Davies, as well as three of their accomplices, were charged with armed robbery, holding people hostage, conspiracy, and assisting the robbery. The three robbers chose not to have legal representation. During the trial, they turned their backs on the judge and held up a poster in protest. They were then sent back to their holding cells, where they remained until the verdict and sentencing. Monroe, Dick, and Davies got 17, 18, and 21 years, respectively, in prison. The 1976 play A Hole in Babylon by Horace Ove and the 1978 novel The Siege of Babylon by Farouk Dondi were inspired by the conflict surrounding the Spaghetti House siege. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. We'd love it if you left us a comment on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, at T-D-I-H-C Podcast. Thanks for joining me on this trip through history. See you here, same place, tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.